This episode of Let's Think On It comes from an excerpt from O Brother Radio with Will Lockamy, Reed Lockamy, and Dr. Mark Westfall. Uh, Reed, a few years ago, we had Ann Regal on the show. I say a few, was it three or four years ago? It was wild. Gosh. It's been a while. A, it was at a remote show. Mm-hmm. Um, Don Lupo had suggested that Ann come on, and you know it's hard to trust Don. Yeah, uh, really. That's right. But but he's I said a, he's a bad guy. But I, nah, I was kidding. He's a, he's the best. He's guy. the best. He's the best guy. Yeah, we loved Don so much. Um, but Ann, I learned a lot from you that night. I'm not kidding, and I hopefully I've told you this that I have always thought of myself as a compassionate person and someone who. Uh, wants to help others. And then I went through this phase a bit because I got was jaded by a situation that happened to me um, with someone who was homeless that I tried to take in and help and I was taken advantage of. And it jaded me a bit. And so you, the discussion we had that night taught me so much. So I can't wait for this discussion tonight. It's going to be led by, of course, our friend, Dr. Mark Westfall, who is here. He joins us once a month. Um, you can find these discussions that we have with Dr. Westfall under the podcast, Let's Think On It. And boy, I've been really excited about this one. And there was a situation this morning that was very poignant that, like, that I haven't had in a long time. And it played exactly into what we're going to talk about. So um, I look forward to hearing that. And yeah. You How you peak, been, man? Piqued my see, interest. Yeah, good to see you. Good to see you, man. It's been a little bit. It's been a bit. bit yeah, yeah. yeah. A little later in the month than usual, but it's all good. Yeah, Life's no, good. I was excited when you texted and said that Ann was going to be the guest tonight because uh, I know just with all the great work that Ann does here in town and how much it means to it's so many people. It's hard for me to find a uh, cool, good person that you don't know. <laughs> it's a perk of the job. Did I tell you one time I was getting on an airplane in New York and the person that ended up sitting next to me, she's like, what gives? She's like, why do you know everybody on the airplane? I was like, oh, it's my job. It's just my, just part of my job. Yeah. Yeah. You see some six degrees of separation. You know right. somebody somehow, somewhere. Pretty much. So, pretty much. Yeah. So tell us about so, what we're going to talk about. Today. Okay. So, you know, um, well, I came across uh, in the news somewhere that, and I've been watching kind of from afar, that the firehouse shelter is opening a new uh, building. And so, so I thought, exciting. you know, um, what a great opportunity to talk about homelessness. And it, it you know, it, it comes close to what I do because uh, being a psychiatrist, you, uh, I worked in the mental health center system for a while in my early career, and you come across a lot of people um, with chronic severe mental illness who uh, become homeless, and we can talk about more of that as we go through. And then, of course, a lot of people with substance abuse also develop a situation of being without a home. And so I thought, you know, it, it, it's something that I have always um, kind of had a somewhat of a connection to, i.e. the homeless population. And uh, I thought it was just a great way to bring it in with uh, an event happening here in Birmingham people should know about. And so then I, through my, I, when I was, uh, when my kids were younger, we served at the firehouse shelter a few times, uh, helped kind of, you know, show them the, the ways. And then, um, so I called my one of the church contacts, I said, uh, you know, you might have the you know, firehouse shelter, and they gave me Ann Regal's name, and so called her, and she was a delight on the phone and totally eager to come on and talk about things, So, and then here we are. And here we are, yeah. Well, so. this is going to be awesome. Um, and again, I think 
hopefully as it was for me last time we talked and on the air that it'll be eye opening for people and maybe I think so. Yeah, yeah I really do. I and think we can all learn a lot from this. For sure. For sure. For sure. Uh, really quick, let's get an update on where the firehouse shelter is as far as the opening the new building. Cause I was at the groundbreaking ceremony, which is so emotional. And the weather was crazy that day and everything about it. Uh, but it, but it was such a cool thing. Well, if you thought the groundbreaking was emotional, just yeah. wait until you're <laughs> there for the ribbon cutting. This is a project that's been about 20 years in the making. And so the big day is February 13th for the ribbon cutting. Awesome. So it's an open house open to the public. We are a local organization and there's been a lot of blood, sweat and tears put into building this new facility. So we hope everyone will come and join us from 4 to 6 p.m. on February 13th. At our location at 626 2nd Avenue North. And then February 19th is the day we have starred for moving our guest into the into yeah. the new shelter. Awesome. Well, I will certainly be there. Uh, hopefully, Reed will be able to be there as well. Yeah. And we'll let everyone know that week. It, as it's we come looking up. really good. I drove by yesterday yeah. to kind of get a take a glance at it. Phenomenal. Looks Thank really you. cool. Yeah. I bet. And it's going to be such a huge, large building change. I mean, you guys have done a great job with the facility you've had for a long time, but you know, it just, there was time for a change. Absolutely. So the new facility will actually double our overnight capacity. Mm. It doubles our footprint. But more importantly than that, it allows us to care for the subpopulation of the subpopulation of chronically homeless that we serve. So we're really able to take um, that mission of of providing individualized care to each person and put them in a building that reflects their dignity and self-worth. That's a big deal. It's awesome. Yeah, that's great. So do you want to, how much time we have before break? I'm trying to figure out how to enter Let's go ahead and uh, talk about kind of what we're going to talk about tonight, and then we'll take a quick break. We'll reset and go from there. In thinking about starting to talk about homelessness, you know, one of we've talked in the past about implicit bias, right? Oh, yeah. And so I, I wanted to kind of help people kind of reconceptualize their view of what homelessness means. Because, you know, if you, if you just say, bring up the topic of homelessness, there's an immediate image I think that many people get. It may be different for different people, but everyone has a, an immediate image. And it is much broader and more complex than that immediate image, whatever your image is that comes into your mind. And so I want to, if we can tonight, that's what I want to portray is how complex this issue is and how many different types of individuals find themselves in a homeless situation and and why it's much more than just providing shelter overnight um, when you're talking about addressing the homeless population. So that's kind of where we're going to be headed okay. um, as we move forward. Because I yeah. think people have lots of different, you know, views. thoughts and views yeah. on, on, on homelessness. So, yeah. yeah. Most but, people, you know, I don't think most people stop and really think much about it. I and mean, they come across it in a, whatever path they're on. Maybe see someone who's on the street and think about it for a moment. But I don't know that people just stop and really evaluate. What happens? What happens in someone's life that they end up without a place to sleep, without a home, without support? And, you know, there's a lot of different reasons. And So I want to turn over to Ann here for a second and ask a question. What do you see as kind of some of the most common misconceptions about the homeless population? Yeah, so I would say the number one misconception that I deal with and answer almost every single day is that people are making a choice to be homeless um, because it's freeing. And in reality, 
You know, if someone's choosing to be homeless, they're choosing to be have a higher rate of victimization. They're choosing to be targeted uh, by people on the street. They're choosing to live a life where people are afraid to make eye contact with you. And it is the antithesis of being free. You're told when to eat, where to sleep. Everything is planned and you're at the mercy of, of other people. And so... You know, using homelessness as a choice, I, I think that it can be really, it can be a devastating misconception because it romanticizes it. And mm-hmm. there is nothing romantic about being out on the street. The people that we see come from a variety of different backgrounds because homelessness is, um, it's one aspect of a person's being. Just like everyone listening and everyone sitting in this room is very different. We all come from different backgrounds. It's the same thing with people that are experiencing homelessness. So we get everything at the firehouse, at people that um, are 18 years old whose parents on their 18th birthday said, okay, we're done. Our legal responsibility is over. They're brought to our shelter, not even with a pair of shoes on their feet, all the way to um, people in their 80s who have inadequate health care and are looking for a place to spend their final their final days and, and weeks because they can't afford to die with dignity and everything in between. So I think we hear about homeless, we have an image in our mind, but that's is so limiting and it's so dehumanizing to people that are experiencing it. Yeah. So, I, I mean, the, the thought that someone would choose not to have a home. And, and I think we sometimes get narrowed into thinking it's all about just the physical shelter. And there's a lot more to homelessness than whether or not you're living under in a shelter or not. And speaking to that, for example, the statistics on homelessness, um, if someone, for example, if you look at, okay, how many homelessness do we have in the nation or in the state of Alabama or in the city of Birmingham? If someone is, is in a shelter overnight, um, that is still considered homeless, correct? Yes. If they spend 30 days in a shelter for, say, um, domestic abuse for women, that is still considered homeless, correct? Yes. I think most people don't understand that it's not just where you're sleeping that night. It's a status uh, of a lot of aspects of your life that aren't going well. Well, and I've got a question about that, too, because, you know, I work in public schools, and one of the things that I have come to learn as a public school teacher is that the definition of homeless is even much more expansive when we think about our students and uh, students whose family all of a sudden is having to stay with friends for three months before maybe having to go stay with other friends for three months. They're homeless, technically, I think. Yeah, so it's really interesting when you start delving into the definitions because in something um, like homelessness, definitions matter. Because if you don't fit in to a box, then the services that you have access to and the supports that might be available are very, very limited. So if you're street homeless or staying in a shelter, you can get services. If you're doubled up in an apartment or couch surfacing, couch surfing technically you're not homeless and so you can't access those supports you might need to pull your family into a better situation and so the devil's really in the details with that and that's something that i think a lot of people don't understand is when we talk about um the prevalence of homelessness 
what we do, every community that receives federal funding, HUD funding, mm-hmm. so we actually go out and we count on the street the people that are present. So it's called a point in time. It's one 24-hour period. Every, every um, place in the country mm-hmm. does it. And so when you think, when you say, oh, we only have 1,200 homeless people. No, that's only 1,200 people that you are able to find on one given night in January. That doesn't count the people living in hotels. That doesn't count the people who have given their last $10 to, you know, stay with a friend or or whatever. So that can be a very misleading figure. And that's not even to mention, you know, I worked for 11 years in the domestic violence field and people who are in those shelters are staying with friends because they're displaced from them. So really, we, we can talk about street homelessness. We can also talk about just lack of stability in in housing, um, that all of that's very important to understand about the you know ways that people are affected by these issues. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, this too, uh, something I learned recently and wrote about for my next column in Birmingham Magazine is Alabama is the fourth highest rate of unaccompanied homeless youth without shelter, which is a huge issue because homeless youth can't be sheltered in adult shelters for the most part because of safety issues, which is completely understandable. Uh, AIDS Alabama now obviously almost finished with their fundraising for um, their shelter that will be a huge deal. And it's not just going to be a shelter. I mean, obviously, it's like you guys do. It's education and healthcare and all kinds of stuff. But, I mean, that's just something you don't really think about much, runaways and whatever. But we have one of the largest problems in the country here in Alabama. Yeah, our data shows that in 2019, the firehouse, just as one singular agency, served over 400 youth between the ages of 18 to 24. 400 kids have no home for a variety of different reasons, just like we were talking about. So some of them age out of foster care, and by the time Mm -hmm. you're 17, they don't come and find you. Some of them are kicked out of their houses. One of the saddest things I have to do in my job is have parents call because the parents will kick them out of the house trying to do the tough love thing, drop them off at the shelter. They'll group up with other kids in their same age and they'll start squatting or train hopping. We never see them again. So to have to feel those phone calls from parents who said, well, I thought they would come home. I thought they would make a change. We're getting more and more kids Jeez. with developmental disabilities, kids with Asperger's that are given a one-way bus tickets from other communities. They show up at the bus station, the police bring them to our doorstep. Mm. So that wow. is the reality really? in our community. I've never even thought about those kinds of stories. You know, when I try to think of what my concept of homelessness is and street homelessness, I, it's shocking to hear you tell some of those stories because it sounds like the kind of thing that people do with pets, you know, taking them to the animal shelter or something. That's that's really startling and, and disappointing to hear. It's incredibly startling when we have kids come to our shelter and they're given a couple of minutes to pack up the things that are important to them and we have kids coming with a backpack full of Pokemon cards yeah. or their Xbox because that is what they know. And so now they're thrust into a life of homelessness with a backpack full oh, of geez. Pokemon cards. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you really, when you talk about homelessness, it's really, and we could give it a lot of other names. I mean, it's, it's lack of support. It's lack of a loving environment. Um, it's lack of health care. Uh, it's lack of, of security. It's maximized anxiety, not knowing what's going to happen next. It's a very frightening place to be. And so when you talk about the miscon- most common misconception, it's kind of a choice. Well, they just, 
it's it's not a choice. It is a it is a outcome. It is a consequence of multiple things not lining up for that individual for what for various number of reasons, and they find themselves in this place of being without resources and without support. One part of which is a shelter. Um, that's just really the the obvious part. You know, you see someone sleeping outside at night. It's you. you that's the obvious. You know, oh, well, sure. they're they're homeless. And you don't think any further. But the reality is, is there's so many other things missing that you're not seeing, right? You're seeing a lack of shelter, but there's so many other things that's lacking that you don't even know about. Well, and something Ann said earlier that really struck me is, uh, you know, being in a condition where people are either afraid or just don't want to make eye contact with you and don't want to converse with you and exchange pleasantries with you, things that we take for granted, especially living in the South, you know, where hospitality is endemic and, and all of a sudden to be in a situation where, you know, you're treated like a pariah. That's, yeah, that's dehumanizing for sure. Yeah, I say homelessness is an issue that lives in the shadows because we are taught to not look, um, not look people in the face because no. we don't want to be panhandled or we're scared. And so the people that, that are homeless are, they blend in. They're like park benches. Yeah. They're just a part of our landscape in our minds, but in reality, they're the people that serve our meals. They're the people that work in schools. Right. They're people that are functioning in our society, but they don't have the luxury when they when they go out of service, then they become invisible again. Can you imagine mm. how that wears on you? Yeah. And so it gets to a point where people, um, sometimes they just give up because they don't feel human and how anymore. Do you, and how do you feel pride also when the people around you i mean think about how much of our personal pride comes from interactions and reinforcements of people you know say nice things to us and then you say okay so i'm an okay person and hmm. yeah so what we see is a, a fear of failure a lot of the people at the firehouse um have been told they're failures they're treated like failures they've slipped through the cracks in every single system and so when they're given an option to succeed, it's, it's fear-based. And yeah. so they don't even want to try because sometimes the only thing that could be worse than failure is, is telling, you know, proving that everyone else is right. So yeah. I think a lot of times uh, when people have interactions with someone who's homeless, it's, you know, their response is, well, they're lying to me. Um, well, they're just going to spin this you, on something. You, you speak in predominantly of the street, uh, on the street homeless correct. kind of yeah. person. Yeah, yeah, yeah correct. Yeah. When you're approached on the street. Yeah. Um, those, those things. Uh, they're lying to me or they're going to spend this on something other than what they tell me they're going to spend it on. Uh, or they're afraid or they, they're taking advantage of. Or again, this is a choice by that person. I hear these things a lot. Um, so let's take a quick break and we come back. I want to address that kind of stuff because again, Reed and I kind of grew yeah. up like trying to help out as much as possible. And we'll go through that whole story a bit and then I'll get to what happened this morning um, with me. And so we'll try to maybe help people know how best they can handle those situations when they get into them. And Regal is here from the firehouse shelter and we're talking about homelessness and how um, the brain plays into this and also just how we as a society should deal with it mm -hmm. and, and handle this. So yeah. So how your what we what we left with was how your brain right. is affected by it. When yep. you had an example of something coming across someone who I guess was uh, 
homeless on the street. And so it affects, and we can talk about their brain, how they got there. We also talk about our brain and how, how we encounter it. And Anne was talking about how, you know, we kind of, they become fixtures and almost like inanimate objects as you walk down the street. They become a park bench or something that you don't even really focus on. Yeah. And so that is one way our brain uh, tries to essentially isolate the emotion away from the situation and, and not really take it all on because if you really engage with that person one-on-one, it becomes much more of an emotional connection and now you may be compelled to feel like you should do something. Whereas if it's a park bench, you can just keep walking and not think about it. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so Reed and I grew up uh, being taught to care about people and have compassion and we would go and volunteer at different places around town and feed people um, that were in need and uh, it's a comical story about that is Reed and I as teenagers, um, he was a hippie and I was trying mm-hmm. to act like a hippie. And so I had long hair <laughs> at an age when I shouldn't have had long hair. So we were at one time feeding people in need of shelter and Reed uh, was mistaken for one of the people in need of shelter. And I was no. referred to as this young lady over here. Who, <laughs> yeah. So it was a fun time for our parents. It was. That day. That day. Yeah, banner but, day for them. Yeah, yeah. Banner day. So that was, uh, the, you know, I, our upbringing as far as trying to help people. And I guess at one point I got to a place where I bought into the, well, they're just going to spend it on this thing. So I'm not going to give someone cash, but I will help them if there's a way I can do that. And so I was approached by someone who, and I I know you probably don't want me to tell the story, but it is what happened to me and why my mindset kind of went this way. Um, I was approached by someone who I don't even think probably was a person in need of shelter. I think it was a con person, a con man. And um, told me this the story, and I he said I don't I don't want any money. I just want to help you clean up or whatever, and then you can pay me if you'd like. And so I put him to work, and there he was. He's cleaning, and ended up he was casing the place and stole like fourteen thousand bucks, not of mine, but from the company. Turns I, I, out he cleaned up. Cleaned up, yeah. yeah. I, I do not have fourteen thousand dollars sitting around. No. Um, so anyway, so then I and, and it wasn't just that. Like I was getting him hotel rooms and food. My friend Brandon was bringing him pizza every night, and it was like a, this crazy thing. Uh, so anyway, so then that really sent me on this like, dadgummit. <laughs> like, no. but then we met Anne, and you kind of changed my mind on that. And so this morning, um. And I've been weird about, like, should I share this for a few reasons? But whatever. I got to work and, Just you know, step in it. No. Yeah. <laughs> when you, I do, I pre-produce the morning show the night before. So I spend a couple of hours, like, writing out everything we're going to talk about in the news and all this stuff. But when I get here, I give myself about five minutes, which is all it takes, to just refresh and, like, oh, is there any new breaking, breaking news that I need to add in? Um, and it's a very quiet time. There's no, never anybody around, but always in my head, there's this thing of like, oh, I talk into this microphone and tens of thousands of people hear it. And out of those, I make some people upset just, but not that I'm saying anything controversial, but people just don't like it. Can't please everybody all the time. So I'm always just, it's always somewhere compartmentalized of like, there's going to be a knock on that door and everything's locked and secure and all that. But so sure enough, I mean, I'd been here for just a couple of minutes and there was a pretty heavy, I was like, oh no, like what in the, and so I like ease over to the door and I open it and there's a gentleman and he said, man, I'm so sorry to interrupt you. Like I didn't realize there's a radio station here. Uh, And he said that he and his wife had been at children's hospital for a bit and they had just lost their two year old Mm -hmm. and they were starving. They were just really, really hungry. And I don't carry cash, which I know is probably an issue now 
because of cash is becoming less and less of a thing. Just for whatever reason, this morning I happened to like grab a few bucks off, uh, you know, from at my house to tip someone because I knew I had to go to this thing. I was like, oh, I'll grab a few bucks. And so I had six bucks in my pocket that I grabbed this morning. And I just, I was like, man, I'm sorry. Like, I've got to go in the air in like 30 seconds. I hope that everything works out for you. I, I didn't probably believe that story, but whatever. It's not my place to tell him what to tell me. And so I gave him the six bucks and he just like welled up and grabbed me and hugged me as hard as I've been held me. He's like, you have no idea what this means to me and my wife and just held me for a bit. And I held him and we just sat there. I was like, man, I like, I just hope that whatever it is you're going through, like that everything's going to be okay. And it didn't matter to me if that was the real story or if he was just homeless or whatever, it didn't matter at that point. And I was glad I grabbed that cash because otherwise I definitely, I would have given him my asthma inhaler. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. I mean, I just didn't know. But honestly, and if we hadn't met a few years ago, I wouldn't have, I would have been like, man, I'm sorry. I don't have anything. Uh, because you know, cause I would just kind of have that mindset of like, Oh, he's going to go spend that on booze or whatever, but whatever. That's such a beautiful story because that that's the beauty of giving, right? So it doesn't matter if that story was real or not. You know, obviously neither one of us knows. But what matters is that you had a positive human connection with someone else and you gave from your heart, not with stipulation. So that's that's really nice. Well, it's not a story about me for sure. It was just a story about what you had taught me and what, what I hope other people will well, learn. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's what happened today. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's a, it is a beautiful story. Um, I think, you know, a lot of people listening may say, yeah, but I, I can't always, you know, it doesn't always turn out, turn out that way, you know, and I, I don't want to get too sidetracked on what do you do when someone approaches you for money on the street? Cause that again, is that kind of implicit bias of what homelessness looks like? And that is not the definition of homelessness. Right. And there are people of varying degrees that some people are, you know, are con men and some people are really in need and you don't have a magic comp, a magic wand in your hand to figure out, decipher a crystal ball, what's going on. No, it's at home. I leave the Yeah, you leave that at home. That's leave right. the crystal Smart. ball home. Yeah. But so, I mean, I think, you know, you got to make those decisions based on who you are and, and how safe you feel comfortable you are. If, you know, if you're, uh, you might feel vulnerable in certain situations too. So you, you have to, everyone has to navigate on at their own uh, pace. But I think looking at the, uh, the bigger picture, it's, there are, there's a lot more we can do um, to help someone who's in a homeless situation. Um, yes, giving them a few bucks makes you feel good for a minute, helps them for a minute, but that doesn't, that doesn't cure the problem no. of homelessness. And I'm not saying don't do that. I'm just saying that's just you know the very tip of the iceberg is helping them when you see them on the street. But I think you know, there's a lot of components that come to homelessness. One is, is the just big picture things, the, the cost of housing, there's not enough affordable, low-rent housing for the number of people that have low-rent incomes. And there's, you can go on. I, I, I recommend people go to this uh, website. It's called uh, National Alliance to End Homelessness, endhomelessness.org. And they've got a lot of, a lot of data that you can go to and see the, uh, you, what your state's like. And it has a lot of definitions of homeless and how people get there. It's a really helpful website. I found. You probably have some others, Anne, if you Absolutely. know that one. Yeah, that's a great one. Um, and so, you know, but you look at the, the, the disparity in income is an issue. 
And so you have people who spend over half of their income just to pay their rent. And if there's one small bump in that income, they get injured, they get sick, uh, they have a child that gets sick, or something happens. That can be the, the, the difference between having a home and suddenly becoming homeless. And then once that cascade begins, it's just a snowball because suddenly they can't afford to fix the car. And then now they can't afford to get go to work, so they lose their job. And, so, and then they can't afford to treat the illness that they get, and so now they get more sick. And it's just a snowball crash downhill that when Ann says people don't choose homelessness, no, they don't choose homelessness. They end up homeless. Um, it's not a, it's not a uh, you know, I'm going to take a year out of college and go live uh, in my car for a year. It's, you know, I can't afford to pay rent to sleep somewhere. And so now I'm sleeping in my car because I have nowhere else to go, or and then I can't pay my car. Now I don't have anywhere, else, any, anywhere to sleep. So, But I think also something you said there is really important because, <clears throat> you know, I think it's easy for people to think, oh, if you are homeless, you either are, you know, uh, crazy person you got mental illness issues right. you have substance abuse issues mm-hmm. which of course people misunderstand and say well right. that's a, a character a flaw choice. on your part right. <clears throat> or you're just you know lazy or just you know good for nothing and don't want to work and that kind of thing but you just pointed out i was i'm a i'm a teacher you know i was talking to a colleague of mine today and this person was saying thank heavens paychecks come in tomorrow because i am out of money yeah, and I was like, "Oh gosh!" And then that's a professional person, uh, you know. So, yeah, I mean, it's yeah, a I'm yeah, not that far of right. But I mean, that's the thing. Paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, I mean, so it's, it's for many people who don't maybe have the support system of family and those kinds of things can very easily find mm-hmm. themselves on the edge of this kind of thing. It doesn't. You know, it's not just those categories we talked about earlier that I think most people think of when they think of homeless yeah. people. And it's a supply issue. I had a yeah. patient who was uh, in a domestic situation had to leave home her husband and so then didn't have the income she eventually and she was in the women's shelter and she was there for a while maybe almost up to a year and then when it came time to go find a place to live because she the time had come up for where she was staying for the short term um, and so she would still be considered homeless because this is someone who doesn't have a secure stable place I and mean, even though she had one temporarily in the shelter yeah. she and so started to help her look for she had, by that point, income from uh, um, disability coming in, but it was a small amount. Yeah. Finding an apartment that she could afford, we found a few. They were all full. Mm. I mean, she literally couldn't find a place to go live because there weren't any available. So, so then what do you do? Right. It's, right. it's difficult. So then she had to leave the place where she was staying, and she had to go double up with someone and stay at their house and hopefully hope that that worked out, and then... There's a conflict there, so they kicked her out, and it's just a tumble downhill again. So it it, it is a um, you know it, it's a it's a very broad place that people find them in, and there's no one answer to try to figure it out. But places like the firehouse shelter have a lot more than just shelter. So let's and I want you to share with people what do you do besides give someone a place to sleep at night. Yeah, so when you're looking at our specific agency, the firehouse, the majority of the people that we serve, they're not the ones that have the bachelor's degree in their back pocket that it might just be one life event um, that's put them into homelessness. Usually when people uh, walk through the doors of the firehouse, they've burned a lot of bridges and they really don't have any place to turn to, but that's where we shine because we walk the path alongside 
uh, alongside them, not in front or behind. And I think that the reason we're able to achieve so much success in what we do is about 50% of our staff are formerly homeless Mm -hmm. or in recovery. And so we have a really good mixture of people that have have walked the path and come out on the other side. And a lot of people know us as being the red brick building um, with a line of homeless men surrounding. Mm -hmm. but But in reality, our homeless shelter is just a springboard to what truly ends homelessness, which is housing. And so when people come in the front door, we first of all get to know them as the individual person that we are. We set up a case plan that they get to decide. So if someone says, um, I want to be an astronaut, instead of saying, no, you've smoked crack every day for 30 years, we say, okay, let's take your goal and then break it down into bite-sized pieces and figure out how you're going to achieve that. Because ultimately, we're dealing with adults and every person has the right of self-determination. Sure. People will do whatever they need to do to get those basic needs met, but that's not how you really um, see long-lasting change. And so we listen. That's the number one key. So in our new shelter, we're going to, like I mentioned before, be able to double our capacity to 100 people a night. And we're really going to be able to put them in the place that they need in order to provide those supportive services to get them to housing quickly. So we're a low-demand shelter. There's really just three rules you have to follow when you come in the shelter. You can't bring drugs or alcohol on-premises. So there's not actually a sobriety requirement, but that feeds into rule number two, which is you can't be violent Mm -hmm. and physical or words. And then if you make a mess, you either have to clean it up or ask for help. So as long as you're meeting those three things, it's okay. You can come in because ultimately the people... Um, that aren't able to achieve things like sobriety or getting stabilized on their medication, those are the people that need the help the very most. So that's our our core mission. That's what we're going to continue to be dedicated to do um, to help. But we're building in carrots instead of sticks. So if people choose to develop a case plan, then they get a slightly nicer accommodation with plugs by their bunk bed, which is pretty cool. So when you say the case plan, you have... Like staff who will help them yeah, plan absolutely. Their, their case, so to speak, to help get them out of this chronic homeless cycle they're in? Yeah, we have case managers on site, a lot of which are formerly homeless or in recovery. Mm-hmm. So they're really able to um, to develop a good workable plan that that puts in, that pulls in social resources and their goals that they pick. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll have housing for women or people who identify as women uh we our job is to not put up barriers so if someone who identifies as a female presents we don't turn them Mm -hmm. away we'll have specialized housing for youth ages 18 to 24 we touched on that a little earlier and when you say housing this is different than the nightly shelter yeah so this is actually in the emergency shelter but it all is streamlining to housing so people start at the shelter and then we put them in housing as quickly as possible so short-term housing at, the sh- at another part of the shelter and then into yes, other types of housing after that? Yes, and then into actual permanent supportive housing. So we actually house about 200 people every single night all throughout the community, which is what a lot of people don't realize that that's where um, 
people don't need to live in a homeless shelter. They need to live in their own home. Mm-hmm. So we help them get to that place quickly. So but I, think, I think that's really helpful for the listening people to understand sure. is that when you, when you refer or recommend someone to the firehouse shelter, it's not just a place to go sleep that night. If they um, are on board with the plan, you have services to help them find their way out of this cycle and not need to be in the firehouse shelter every night. So they have transitional type of support and housing. And a lot of people, I don't think, recognize that is part of what the firehouse shelter does. It's not just a place where men stand in line, go in, spend the night, go out, spend a day on the street, come back, spend the night in the house. It is a path to getting out of the homeless cycle. That's right. Right? Yeah, and there's uh, we're talking obviously about my agency, but in reality, there's so many great places in right, Birmingham, right. and the firehouse doesn't need to reinvent the wheel. So when they come to our agency, there might be a better fit. So we help them navigate those sometimes really complicated waters to get to where they're going to thrive, and that is ultimately yeah. our goal. Um, okay, so... I don't need to like give a shout out to Salon you, but I do because they hire great people, including uh, my friend Paul, who cuts my hair. And so today he heard me talking about you this morning on the show. And so as soon as I got there at 10 o'clock right after the show to get my hair cut, he's like, hey, I heard you talking about Ann. Uh, I've never told you this because he and I have become friends now. He's like, but my goal was to open a homeless shelter. And he told me his whole plan. And it was really like the passion that he gave and this whole thing. It was like, it was crazy. And I was like, dude, that that's awesome. I was like, I understand why he ended up like going to the London School of Barbering, and now he's like this super. But he wanted to like train people to cut hair, like the the guests that came into his shelter. So anyway, uh, I said, you know, here's the thing. Now knowing Anne, I mean, this is a labor of love. It's clearly not something that like pays you a bunch of money and all that. So I want to know your story of like how you got into this and what made you care about it and do something that is. A labor of love. Yeah, so I'm actually a social worker, and that's something that I'm really, really proud of because I I grew up here in Birmingham, and the day after I graduated high school, I was bound and determined to never set foot back in Alabama again. So I, I moved to Vermont, and I lived in New England for a long time, but then as I got deeper and deeper into social justice issues, I realized that what I needed to do was to come back home, to come back to Birmingham and help the people that maybe don't have um, the community or state support that they might need it in order to thrive. And so I really, I think that generational poverty issues, specifically generational poverty issues in the Deep South, um, it's appalling how we've treated, uh, treated people throughout our time, especially in Alabama and other states like ours. And so, you know, I'm passionate about homelessness because I think the firehouse is very mission-based and that's very exciting to me. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, it's not homelessness that I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about people because every person, no matter what you've done or where you've been, Every person deserves dignity and respect, and no, no person desi- deserves to die in the gutter. And that is the reality for the people that we serve. It's reality for people all over uh, our country, all over the world. And I think it is all our duties to put ourselves out of our comfort zone just a little bit 
every single day and try to make this world a little bit better. And I know that sounds like a bumper sticker, no, that's but fantastic. in reality, if we all just do a tiny, tiny bit, it'll it'll make a big difference. So what are some suggestions you have, the, the ways that people can put themselves out of their comfort zone just a bit each day? Yeah, I have, I have a really easy suggestion, and that's simply to talk about issues uh, that make you feel uncomfortable. So homelessness, like I mentioned, is something that lives in the shadows. So for instance, if you had breast cancer, if your family was affected by breast cancer, you would wear pink and you would go on walks and you would talk about it a lot because it's super important. Um, but if you were homeless or your dad was homeless, you don't, you don't talk about it. So even having hard conversations about, um, with other people and yourself, like challenging when you see someone who you feel like might be homeless and you have those stereotypes that pop in your head, think about them. Don't push them out quickly. Just sit with them and process them. And once you once you do that, tiny, like I'm saying, it's just a mm. little bit of change. But until we start talking about some of these things, ain't nothing going to be different. Yeah, that's true. That's for that's sure. Awesome. Now, you did not come on here asking for any financial assistance, but you are opening a new building. And is there any is there a way anybody can contribute to the uh, the new things that Firehouse Shelter is doing? Absolutely. So this is what makes me a terrible executive director because <laughs> money is really, really important. And if you wanna, if you wanna give, our website is firehouseshelter.com. We have a really cool program called Pathways to Hope, where you can buy an engraved brick that actually goes in the sidewalk leading up to our new mm. shelter. So there's some pretty cool spaces ways left to give. for that for those yeah, bricks. Absolutely, absolutely. But ultimately. If finances are tight and you still want to give back, come to the shelter. So one of the pretty cool things that we're doing with the new building is people don't have to leave during the day. So traditionally, really, in a that's no longer shelter, a, a part of the no the cycle. Oh my exactly. goodness! Exactly. So it's huge. huge we want to make sure that people are getting um, meaningful interactions and skills building so they can be successful in permanent housing. So if you have wow. a skill, if you're a street photographer, an artist, or really, really good with personal finances, come to our shelter and help people. It just takes like an hour. People are there morning, evening. We're going to have our overnight hosting program so you can spend the night at the shelter and wake up and make people breakfast and go to work in the morning. So okay. money's is there a, How do people do that? I mean, they just show up or is there an the email? Or is a, how yeah, go online to firehouseshelter.com. Obviously, we haven't quite moved into the new right. shelter. So everything's uh, a little a little crazy right now, pretty busy. Um, so give us a little bit and then call, come by, visit our new shelter, come to our open house on the 13th. Um, and, and yeah. Is there guidance of the kinds of things that are helpful? Like, I mean, if my skill is like making irritating sounds, that's not <laughs> that's not helpful to come and teach people how to do that. So, like, you have categories she said, like, of finance and uh, right. Is, yeah. But like, is there so, information on the website know, about that? One or? thing that I'll really make a pitch to is um, we tend to believe that our homeless men mm -hmm. should do nothing but think about their homelessness 24-7. And if they're not, they're not uh, pulling themselves mm. up by the bootstraps. Yeah. So if you have some sort of recreational skill that you're willing to share or that you're passionate about, a book club or something yeah. like that, 
think about it. Think about what you like. And I guarantee if you like it, someone else probably likes it too. Maybe even irritating sounds. Yeah, irritating. Sure. Okay, yeah. yeah um, <laughs> our friend Sydney writes in and says, uh, doesn't AM make you want to be a better person? And Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But not just that. Uh, Sydney, of course, works at Birmingham AIDS Outreach yes. uh, along with Steve and our, uh, many mm-hmm. of other Hi, friends Sydney. of ours. Yeah, but... Um, yeah, but not only makes you want to, I do. I can say like, and she made actually, me a better person. Yeah, yeah. change my views nice. on some things. That's so awesome. So this has been great. Uh, I told you it'd be, it was exciting as soon as he said that you were going to be our guest, and um, because we just know how much you mean to this community, and uh, not just you, but Don and everybody involved. There's so many people. I, I hate that I always say just you and Don because I know there are so many other people that are involved, but you are the two that I talk to most often. Um, so props to you guys. Uh, also, to, of course, Dr. Mark Westfall for setting this whole thing up. Sure. This, this is important. Yeah. There's no question. One. It's one of those that we could have talked about. You know, oh, we could do it another hour for many, sure. Many, many episodes. There's no question about it. Um, don't forget, you can find all of the conversations we have with Dr. Westfall under the podcast, Let's Think On It. I suggest that you go do that. We've done years of these. And so, I mean, almost... Anytime someone comes to me and like has a question about some kind of psychiatry thing, you should talk about this. I'm like, oh, yeah, we have, we have, and you can find it under <laughs> Let's Think on it. So it's go do fun. that. It's been fun. Yeah, for sure. Um, thanks right. to you guys for doing things like your show to let people like and come on and share all the wisdom she has with all the listeners. I mean, it's fantastic. It's our pleasure. Take the village. It's the reason we do it. Honestly, we've told you that before. Yeah. Uh, there are many times I thought, eh, maybe not, but yeah, it's the reason we do it. This hour of Over the Radio is brought to you by Good People Brewing Company. Good People Brewing is the most aptly named business in Birmingham. To listen to Dr. Mark Westfall live, check out O Brother Radio on Birmingham Mountain Radio, 107.3 FM in Birmingham, 97.5 in Tuscaloosa, at bhammountainradio.com, or on the free BMR app. Join in with your questions and comments on Twitter at Lockamy Brothers. <laughs>